In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. There's kind of an inside joke here at Prince of Peace that we like to kick it old school around here. As a parish, we intentionally live and move and have our being in profound contact with the classic Catholic spiritual, theological, and liturgical tradition. Now, that having been said, though, we are not wrapped in mothballs praying like zombies in a dusty old building dedicated to Vatican Museum religion. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, our Lord says, Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Being Catholic is not about ecclesiastical cosplay, as if the clergy were LARPers in some nerdy version of a historical reenactment at which some people have the rather peculiar hobby of spectating. That is not what this is all about. Drinking deeply of the sources of tradition allows us not to escape but to engage, not to withdraw into a fortress to hide against all of the really horrifying things that sometimes can happen around in our world, but to put ourselves on the front lines of a spiritual battle whose victory has already been assured. The spiritual disciplines of the church that make us into good soldiers of Christ the sacramental life of the church that is our elite training for war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's all for a reason. What some may look at from the outside and call old-time religion is a paradox. It is a response to the words of our Lord at the end of time, but which echo in our hearts already today. Behold, I make all things new. Conversion, penance, prayer, and worship seem awfully old-fashioned to many people today, but they are actually the source of renewal and hope for the human person who finds his only glory and meaning in Jesus Christ. You know your Bible. Remember, the Jews wandered around the desert for 40 years and were fed each morning by manna from heaven. They'd sinned. That's why their punishment was exile. They crossed over the Red Sea by means of a miracle that drowned their captors and stunned everyone around. But even with all that happening, they still didn't trust the Lord. They complained and grumbled because they were in this in-between time. Egypt was the place of their bondage, but you know, at least they had onions and leeks to eat, right? Instead of this nourishing but boring bread from heaven that appeared and disappeared on a daily basis, 
when they finally cross over into the promised land, the manna ceases, and they enjoy the full right of all of the riches of their new homeland. Lent reminds us that we too have been saved by the waters of baptism that destroys death. But we often still don't trust the Lord. We grumble and complain and so often prefer the old man of sin to the new man of grace. We look at the bread come down from heaven in the Eucharist And so easily we begin to take it for granted. We balk at the obligation to go to Mass. We can think there's so many other more interesting things to do on a Sunday afternoon than to come to Mass. Because there are so many other things out there competing for our attention. You know, sometimes people will come to me and say, Father, you know, I just don't really get anything out of Mass. You know, it's kind of boring. Now, you would think that they would not come to me with this, right? But some people have more nerve than sense. And so then I look at them and I say, you know what? You're the boring one here, right? Because it's not about you. None of this that we do right here is about you. Get over yourself, right? Once we begin to truly understand what that means, we see how truly amazing and beautiful that it is. But you know, the day will come in which the last priest will say the last Mass. The day will come when sacraments shall cease, and as the promised land of heaven comes near, the signs and symbols and sacraments behind which the Lord hid His glory because we couldn't take it if he showed us everything at one time, all of that will fade away into the past. We will put aside the old-time religion for the new kingdom of love, of which that religion was a preparation. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away, Behold, new things have come. Christ washes away in baptism our sins, which make us old, weak, decrepit, and generally kind of unpleasant. He makes us eternally youthful, new, strong, fearless, and fragrant before the Lord. But how does this change, this awful and awe-inspiring transformation happen? Through the ministry of the church, which is where the message of forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration is good news. Now, you know just as well as I do that there are people who don't see all of that as good news at all, right? (laughs) They look at the church as nothing more than a hypocritical, out-of-touch lunatic who stands in the way of progress, condemning people for sins that fewer and fewer people even see the consequences of. 
But in reality, the church is the body of the redeemed who are leaving behind the old life of sin, which keeps us stuck in the past, stuck in some place, spinning our wheels because we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. Last time I checked, that is the popular definition of insanity. But you know what? It's also a pretty decent characterization of sin. Real progress is what is true, good, and beautiful, where the royal road of the cross, which leaves sin behind for a new life of virtue and grace, is hard, narrow, but ultimately something beyond our wildest dreams. But unfortunately, this message of reconciliation, those blinded by their own sense of self-sufficiency can't see it. Those deaf to anyone calling them to be accountable for their behavior, they can't hear it. That is why the Christian message of pardon and peace is actually so scandalous to so many people today. You know, sometimes I hear... Father, you know, people just don't go to confession like they used to. And I say, really? Are you sure about that? I mean, there's no shortage of people going to confession today. People plaster their deepest, darkest secrets all over social media as they never have an unpublished thought. They spend money on therapy they don't need instead of therapy that they might need, and self-help gurus as they bravely bear their souls in the most intimate detail. They call out others and cancel them for everything that seems to them like a fault so that the world, they say, can be a more just place. I mean, people are confessing all over the place and this huge party of self-manifestation in the search for self-actualization. But they're not actually sorry for their sins. They don't want to make a firm purpose of amendment. They don't want to avoid the near occasion of sin. And mostly, they don't want a world in which they don't get to be the self-appointed judge and jury of everyone else around them. And then they wonder why the world isn't more just, isn't more merciful, and isn't more loving. Even faithful Catholics will go to confession every time the door is open as if the sacrament were just a divine etch-a-sketch that just resets the counters to zero with a hearty, go forth and sin some more, sin and sin boldly. My friends, if you think that's what confession is, we've got to have a word of prayer. That is a caricature of penance. There are people who really don't want to put the work into it to change their lives and stop presuming on the mercy of God, just hoping that they might get to heaven by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. I've been there. 
I've done that too. Many of us have. But that is not what the Lord Jesus teaches us. I know that everybody knows one of the most well-beloved passages of Scripture that always comes up during Lent, the gospel of the prodigal son, right? If you ever went to a Sunday school class or religious education, then you know the text. But do we really get what it means? Do we let the message of the gospel transform our lives into something better, into something different? The younger son in the story finally gets the courage to leave behind the squalor of the life of old. Homeless, rootless, wandering around where his God was the belly and despair overtook his life. And when he starts to come home to the house of his father and ours, the father does not stand at the door of the house with his arms crossed over his chest, accusing him. The accuser is one of the names of Satan. That is not what the father does. He embraces him. He doesn't keep his child in the past, but gives him a new lease on life. He doesn't sit there and read him a syllabus of his own errors to trap him in guilt and shame. He opens wide his arms, embraces him with love and compassion, lets the past be truly in the past, and everyone, what do they do next? They go to feast. All except the original cancel culture figure, the elder son. He's so sure of himself that he has the right to keep his brother trapped in the past that he himself forfeits the new life of grace. And it is only the love of his father that can bring him out of darkness. Is the Catholic Church a home which opens wide the doors to sinners who want to be reconciled to God? Do people actually know that? Remember, the prodigal son went back home. Why? Because he knew he could go back home. He knew he had a place. Yes, he sinned. Yes, he messed up. Yes, he did stupid things. Yes, he forfeited everything in his life. But he knew he had a home to go back to. Do people know that the Catholic Church is truly a home for them to go back to? Because if not, we might as well shut the doors, cut off the lights, and go home because nothing that we do has value. None of it. What are we doing? Are we a church of the merciful Father where we celebrate restoration to the newness of Christ with boldness? Or have we become old and tired, taking the easy way of pointing fingers and keeping people stuck in their past? And by the church... I'm not talking about the parish. I'm not talking about the priest. I'm talking about the bishop. I'm not talking about the pope. I mean you, 
who are the church in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace, with your friends? Are you keeping people stuck in their past? Are you trying to receive the forgiveness and the love of God, but not giving the fruits of that forgiveness and love to others? We need more feasting in honor of Him who makes all things new in us, rather than empty and pharisaical Lenten observances that easily become outward observances of a dead faith. I want you to think about our attitude towards the sacrament of confession, right? So often people will kind of come in to the church, you know, if they could wear like a false nose and glasses or something, they would do it, right? They kind of, you know, slink in, want to get in and out as quickly as possible, right? And they go and they come out of the door and they're like, thank God that nonsense is over, right? And then they just go back to their lives, Can you imagine if when someone comes out of confession, the entire Christian community was there to embrace them, to feast? Now, I'm not saying when you go to confession this week, I'll give you balloons and cake. Okay, that's not the point. But there is an attitude that is what this is all about. Confession should be a festival of forgiveness where love is tangible and real. It's not a torture chamber to keep us on religious autopilot. But to tell the difference, you and I have to make that difference real for those who are hungry, they're thirsty. They're tired and in need of the love of the merciful Father.